are listening to the Golden Voice Podcast, and I'm your host, Jarvis Smith. We're back from our intermission for episode seven of our podcast, and we hope you all had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did because I got to spend a little bit of time with you during our bonus episode, so that was really dope. And if you're new to the Golden Voice podcast, I want to say thank you for giving us a little bit of your time, and I hope you check out our previous episodes featuring Sleigh Bells, Cam Girl, Uffy, Sizzy Rocket, Yell, and Jameson. Now, as always, I'm going to check back in with you during the outro, but I want to jump into this week's episode. Because today, we're speaking to a guest who started his music journey as a DJ and music producer for one of hip-hop's standout talents, Kyle, in the launch of his career. Also, today's guest is the producer of Baby Keem's Do-Rag Activity off his latest album, The Melodic Blue, and released his own debut single, The Start, in the spring of 2021. If that wasn't enough, today's guest started his own surf collective, Black Sand, which has made true waves in the surf world throughout 2021 as well. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's the one-of-a-kind and multi-talented Brick. And in his episode, Brick reflects on his journey in music, how he met Kyle, performing at Coachella, getting into surfing, launching Black Sand, and so much more. So let's go ahead and get this conversation started. And this time, I want to take it back a bit to when I first met Brick. Surprisingly, I didn't realize this upon doing my research. I actually met you, man, back at FYFS in 2015. Um, wow. Kanye West, you were right in front of me. Um, and, and he was performing, you were literally right in front of me. And I had a picture of like trying to get Kanye West's, uh, you know, his production was crazy during that performance at FYF. And I was like, like, man, like, uh, who's this one person in front of me? And then someone's like, yeah, man, that's, uh, you know, that's such and such from the super duper camp. And I was like, I I wasn't, I wasn't familiar because I'm coming from Chicago. So I was like, okay. And then some years later after, you know, I'm talking with some of the team members here at Golden Voice, et cetera. Like, yeah, that's that, that photo you have. That's, that's, that's a brick right there. Like, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. So it's super crazy. I got to. I got to send it to you through email, man. It's, it's like, okay, so so this is definitely not our, our first time talking, but it's definitely not necessarily our first time uh, interacting and meeting necessarily. So I'm just curious yeah. to know, man, like, you know, just about your background, about your history. You know, what was it like growing up for you? You know, uh, what, what's your childhood like, man? That whole story is cool, by the way. First of all, let me say that. Like, that was, that's that's dope. I live for that type of, those type of moments where you like cross paths with somebody and realize you're going to cross paths with them later and have no context on who they are. That's cool. Um but uh, yeah, no, my childhood, I grew up and I mean, I was born here in Lo- in California, Long Beach specifically, sort of grew up in uh, in Carson. That was that was like where my grandparents live. That's where my dad lived, my mom, all that. And Carson is a pretty uneventful place. It's it's a lot of older black people. It's a lot of senior citizens. So like, it's not the most fun place to grow up, but it was cool. I had my friends there and stuff. And when my mom, though, when she she married my stepdad, we ended up transplanting from Carson all the way over to, you know, Rayford, North Carolina. And that was like a, such a major culture shock and life change. And I, we moved there when I was seven years old. So, yeah, I spent a good amount of time out there. I, I lived there from second grade until the second semester of 10th grade. So, in a way, I grew up out there. But I would come back to California every summer because my, my real dad still lived out here. So, I would be, I would spend a good amount of time, about a quarter of the year in California or up to half of the year, whenever I wasn't in school. And uh, 
and then back to North Carolina. So it was interesting because, like, just that juxtaposition of just, like, the city and the middle of bumfuck nowhere is, like, <laughs> it, it was just wild. And I think that that was, honestly, I give a lot of credit to my childhood because it's definitely what made me a very um, adventurous person and creative person because we had to get creative because there was nothing else to do. Like, there was nothing in the city that I was from in Rayford, North Carolina. And then also in Carson, it's a pretty boring city. There's like a, there was the home, what was called the Home Depot Center at that time, like the little stadium where next to Cal State Dominguez, there's, you know, there's the Home Depot Center. <laughs> That's what I'll always call it, no matter what brand renames it. But uh, there was the Home Depot Center and there was like just this boring mall and schools, like there's nothing there. So, and then the same in North Carolina, it was just open roads and cotton fields and like you know storage units and churches so like yeah nah so out there I used to when I was in North Carolina I used, we used to just like build dirt jumps and go fishing and do all like the adventurous things and I used to and I rode BMX growing up and you know I and, and, I, and I feel like there was definitely there was a there was an even mix of uh, people out there I would say just like ethnically it was definitely, it's for sure predominantly white, but there was actually, because the military, it would bring so many people from so many places. My stepdad was in the military, which is why we moved there. Yeah, so um, so there was always like an interesting mix of people everywhere, but the things I was doing and the people I was hanging out with was always very just like, I was like definitely the token black friend growing up. <laughs> and uh, that was, and, and, and those types of things like that and just being creative out there, building dirt jumps on Sundays at the unfinished construction sites. And every Halloween I would like, I would create these like haunted houses and build those on the front porch. And I would like orchestrate all my friend group together to like create this vision of this haunted house that I wanted the whole neighborhood that I lived in to come through. And there was all these different like things that were like the foundation of, you know, being imaginative, uh, for me. And, um, my childhood like I said it was just the best of both worlds and you know through that creativity of of like uh sorry to ramble but no no go ahead um, I love this man yeah through that creativity that I experienced with my friends and orchestrating those groups because I remember I when I was like 11 years old I like pitched this haunted house concept to the homeowners association and we lived in like a big subdivision you know like North Carolina like all the houses are like they were big in the, in the, but it's like, you could get like a five bed, three bath on an acre and a half for like $140,000. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so it was just like, it was just like a different time. So we had, we had so much space and there was this whole community of like all these houses that like looked the same. It was very like suburbs where I was living, but suburbs in the middle of nowhere. And, um, so yeah, I pitched the homeowners association, like, yeah, I want to do this haunted house. And I would like, go all through the early internet, like copying links from all these websites that sold like cobwebs and this website sold like clown masks and this website sold like some of the stuff we needed to make like the fake blood or whatever. And I like compiled it all into a Word document and had my mom take me to the homeowners association meeting and like pitched it for 800 bucks, which I ended up getting and to like build this haunted house on my own front porch and the whole neighborhood like came through. So it was like, I was always like orchestrating events and like being creative and doing what I could with what I had in every like moment of my life, you know? So that, uh, 
from there, like I, I was like, I remember I got my my first flip video camera from this uh, pawn shop, and my mom has always been so supportive of everything I've done throughout my life, and it's like. It's just the coolest thing. Like, whatever I was into, my mom was like, for sure, let's do it. Let's try it out. Go for it, you know? So um, I remember my mom, like, took me to this pawn shop in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I got a flip video camera because I wanted to shoot this music video. And I'm, like, 12, 12 or 13. But I was, like, just finding out about Odd Future, like, Tyler, the creator and stuff, you know? And I know Golden Voice, they, they put on Camp Vlog now, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, my favorite festival and the best festival Absolutely. to go to. Yeah. Like I tell everybody this and it's unpopular opinion, but I like Camp Flogno more than Coachella. It's just like especially me just living in LA, you know what I mean? Like it's just easy to get to. The vibe is incredible. Like the type of person that it attracts is just so free spirited and open minded and expressive. Like and then the music curation of that whole festival is just like there's never a gap of somebody you don't want to see. Like, it's always like, dang, man, like, I want to see both of these people. I got to run to all the stages. Like, that's that's my favorite festival. And Tyler is one of my favorite artists. And that that all ties back to, I mean, he is my favorite artist. Like, he changed my life. He's very responsible for, like, everything that I've done creatively up to this point. Have you had a chance to actually meet Tyler throughout your, throughout your journey in music? Yeah, I've, I've, I've met Tyler a handful of times. And, like, it's always very brief, like, backstage at Flognar or like I remember one time I DJed this event for uh Donald Glover or Childish Gambino uh he had like a Christmas party and Tyler was there and he came up to me and he said what's up and that shit literally made my life like it made my it made my whole life like that was like the coolest thing ever to me hell like, yeah yeah I met Tyler one 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 time uh it was at Coachella backstage and uh it was funny I, one of my guys knew who one of his security guys but then as we we're meeting him Frank Ocean was like off to the side in the in his own yeah. in the shadow so it was kind of it was cool so I had those same same quick moments Yeah too. bro they're epic bro like they're like immortalized in history like those that whole group and just like that era and I feel like what it meant for people and kids at that age like like me for example like here I am oh like basically 10 years later yeah, it was like 2011 2012 when i was finding out about them like early odd future and i just remember just like watching that from north carolina like a 12 year old kid watching it on the desktop and my mom would give us all like we we had to share the desktop in in the living room you know it was like those times it was one desktop in the house like 30 minutes each sometimes an hour each like okay Justin, your turn okay naila it's your turn xavier you go now it was like we had to rotate and playing video games on there, like Disney, Disney Channel games, DisneyChannel.com games, or, you know, like all that type of stuff. It was just early internet. But, um, but yeah, no, like, uh, I just remember when I ran across Tyler, the creator, like it was such a life-changing moment for me because it really gave me this, like, this, it, it, it made me realize like, dang, I really can do anything. Like, you know, and even the little things I was doing, putting on these haunted houses and that type of stuff, like just riding bmx just being a general outcast like it was a lot of just you know different type of people at my school and like i never had a group where i was like oh yeah these are people who like think like me and i can hang out with like you know what i mean like so so yeah finding tyler like gave me like wow like this is a this is like a home for the way i think like before i was at the age where i'm thinking about like my thoughts you know you're just living life at that time so i was like whoa this like that was my first introduction to like free thought 
So I remember he had these songs and like I would just, I just love the song so much. He had this really weird song called uh Ass Milk. <laughs> and uh and I I was like I want to make a music video to this song cuz I just had all these ideas for it of like what the music video could be, but obviously I didn't know him so I was like, well, I'm going to just shoot it myself by myself with myself. And that's why I got the flip video camera and I went and I shot this video like and my mom would drive me to downtown Fayetteville to shoot it like every day like she would or not every day every weekend she would drive me down there and it took me like four weekends to fully put this video together there was all these scenes like there was this girl I used to like who I met on Facebook that like I had her in the video and like it was really thought out it wasn't like oh we're just like shooting a music video in front of some Walmart like it was a full concept and I was like 12 13 years old and um and I ended up up and I spent like another month editing it. I was just on YouTube learning tutorials on how to edit in Sony Vegas Pro back in like, you oh, know what I mean? Man, yeah. I know Early that. editing. Yes, yes, yeah. Real editors know about the Sony Vegas Pro era. era. Like every, I feel like nobody uses that anymore. Nah, but, not really. <laughs> yeah, like that's, isn't that funny? But I remember <laughs> Sony Vegas Pro 7, like I was on there just like grinding, figuring it out. And I, and I finished the video and I was like, cool, it's done. And I put it up on on the internet, and I just started promoting the shit out of it on Twitter. Like, I was just tweeting it to everybody and like, hey, check out this video I did to this Tyler song. Check out this video I did. Check out this video I did. I would tweet it to Tyler like hundreds of times over, like literally. And I and I really have a feeling he saw it. And I even sometimes in my head like to believe that like he realizes that i'm that dude from that video 10 years ago but (laughs) i'll never know until i confirm it with him but i used to literally bug him so hard with this video and but it ended up like catching its own flame on youtube because it's like kind of early youtube and it got like half a million views and i was like what the like it was just crazy maybe like four hundred thousand views or something like that and it was just mind-blowing to me because i was just like you know i was i did a couple other little videos that i uploaded to facebook and you know, and I and that to me was like a moment. That was like a shift in the matrix to me, where I was like, "What? This can work." This was like my first idea that I had, and I was like, the first time I'd ever shared something with the internet, and I was like, "Dang!" Like, you know, that that gave me so much confirmation. Being in a city of forty five hundred people in North Carolina, growing up out there all those years, and I was like, "Wow!" Like, I I, I just remember that was such an important moment in my childhood, and that's what kind of transitioned me to adulthood creativity which is where like i just kept doing those videos like i was just making other videos and and then uh i remember i found this guy on the internet while i was in north carolina named uh kid which he now goes by kyle or super duper kyle but uh, like uh and and kyle's a good friend of mine and we obviously we, we've done a ton of stuff together for those who know and you know he's a he's an artist a rapper and uh but i remember i found him back in like 2012 or 13 again yeah, it must have been 12, but yeah, it was definitely early. No, it was late 2011, early 2012. And uh, yeah, no, I just remember I would just hit him up on the internet too. And he might've had like, you know, 3000 followers on Twitter at this time, maybe maximum, you know, like maybe 2K. It was early Twitter and all that. So I would just be hitting him up like, yo, I love your stuff, man. His video, his videos would kind of be in the related videos with like, 
Mac Miller and yeah, and then uh, the one that I'm blanking on was like it was like I forgot what movie it was like a parody of, but it was like a baseball movie. Oh yeah, Silver Platter. There we that go. That, the, that was the that one was, that really yeah. hooked me on, on on Kyle and just the whole entire movie that y'all had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was the, the very first video I was in of Kyle. Like me being in that video was like mind blowing to me because I was just a huge fan, you know. So. So I started hitting him up on the internet and he actually started hitting me back and I would just be sending him the link to that video I had that had some views on it. And I was like, yo, look, I did this video. Like, I want to do videos for you. Let me know, bro. Like, I'll do anything. Like, basically, like, just trying to get out there, like, actually just, you know, straight up outreach and thus work. When he started hitting me back. I was like, mom, I'm leaving North Carolina. Like, I can't do anything out here. I'm moving back to California with my dad. I remember I like hella failed, like I failed hella classes at the end of my first semester of 10th grade. And, um, and my mom was like, you're not leaving. And I was in this like magnet school that was like, oh, you graduate and you already have a college degree because like, I always had good grades until I started being creative. And I think that's actually an important point to my life. But, um, but yeah, once I started doing that, I was like, nope, I'm, I'm out. And I, and I, and I went to California with my dad. And uh, I moved in with my dad, who at the time I definitely didn't want to live with because my mom was like way more free. My my grandparents are like really strict and like they're not strict; they're just really old school, and they like always they're gonna think I'm gonna get kidnapped if I walk outside. So it was like I didn't have as much freedom with them, and I knew that that I I was sacrificing that, but I knew I needed to go to back to California. So I went back to California primarily to just work with Kyle, and at the same time. He had like signed a little tiny record deal with uh, this company called Indie Pop. And that was what moved him from Ventura to downtown L.A. So now that I was in California and I made that move like quick, like I had decided that in December and was there by the first semester of I mean, the second semester of 10th grade, which was the following February of 2012. Yeah, because I graduated 2014. So, um, yeah, uh that at that time i um i just started linking up with kyle like yo i'm I'm around and i would catch the blue line from carson to downtown la and i just started doing like day in the life videos for kyle and stuff like i would just go film him and my friend tk was letting me borrow his like canon t2i like and he was a cool kid from school that i just met at the new school i started going to who super supported me would let me borrow his camera and I would go film videos of Kyle on his camera. And he would let me borrow his camera for weeks. And, uh, and like, yeah, I was filming all these little like day in the life videos and just like editing them. And I'd be like, yeah, you should put this on your YouTube. And he would just throw some of them on his YouTube. And then I would just try and get involved with everything creatively. Like, Oh, I got this video idea from that song you played. Ask him to send me a song. And I'd be all like, oh, my God, he sent me the song. And I'd be listening to the song like, okay, what's the idea? And I would, like, put together these treatments and concepts. And um, I remember I I con- helped conceptualize the the Fruit Snacks video. It was, like, one of the very first things. If you go back and look up Kyle Fruit Snacks, or might be under KID. Might not, I don't know. Whatever. But um. I remember that was one of the first things that I had ever like really helped on that I was like, oh, proud of and promoting and like, yeah, I worked with Kyle on this video. You know what I mean? And um, and that was just surreal to me. Like at that time, like that age, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm working with a rapper. I'm in the industry. I've made it. You know what I mean? Like, like it felt that crazy to me. So 
I just like, you know, kept moving on that momentum and just staying creative. And I really like love how Kyle and them took me in. Like I was literally 14 years old. Was it already at that time too? Were you guys already uh, working underneath the super duper name or was that something that came uh, as, as maybe more people got involved? The super duper name came from Kyle was like, first 10 people to change their name to super duper on Twitter. I'll follow him back. So I did it instantly. And he followed me back. And that's where we started talking. That was while I was still in North Carolina. So I was in California. I was already super duper brick, like as a fan, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's crazy. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, no. So then once, uh, so once we started linking up and editing videos and I'm contributing to these concepts and like, I mean, they really like treated me like a little brother, like him and um nolan was his manager like they really helped me out a lot in the beginning and nolan would like pick me up from school like after after school and stuff and it was like i don't know it was it was a really just surreal experience at that time my my dad definitely did not understand what was going on at all like he was like what are you doing dude like you going out here going to downtown la to work for some people for free you know what i mean and my mom was like do your thing my mom ended up moving back from north carolina to California after I finished my second semester of 10th grade. So I moved back in with her. And um, so, and she was really just like letting me rock and do my thing. And then shoot, one thing leads to another. Uh, I remember we're at like his, one of his home, Kyle's homie's house one night, this guy named SK4MC, shout out my guy. And he was like the, uh, he had these like turntables sitting up just like on a shelf high up, like on some straight movie stuff. And I saw him and I was like, dang, you have turntables. Like, that's crazy. I'm I'm 14. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm still a child, like appalled by stuff. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, here. And then he like plugged them in. It was like some DDJs. Like, you could plug it directly into the laptop. And he let me start messing around with it, opened up his laptop. And he had a little back house up in North Hollywood. And I was just in the back house while they were in the kitchen cooking. And I was just there like messing with those and that was the first time I started I, I had exposure to turntables and, and then I was like man this is so cool and he was like man you can take them home I was like no way he was like yeah you can have them I don't ever use that oh man I would say because at this point in your life where you had like was making music in particular being like a DJ ever something that ever entered came across your, your mind when you were listening to Odd Future when you listened to all these different artists you were checking out at the time not at all like it wasn't like I wasn't thinking about it. I was just going with the flow of life. I was just like, oh, these things are in front of me. I, I had fun with it. And then the homie gave it to me on the spot. I, I'll never forget. He just was like, yeah, you can have it. I was like, no way. And and like in retrospect, it was like maybe like a $90, $100 little DDJ. So he was like, he definitely didn't use that. He was a grown ass man at the time. I was a kid. And he was just like, yeah, it's whatever. Still, like those little moments, I can imagine this just sparks your mind. Like, wait a minute, there's there's something here, there's something new. And you seem to be a person that gravitates. Listen to your story right now. You're gravitating towards things that are new, whether it be like the computer, whether it be these softwares, right? There's these cameras. So everything that's like kind of new that you're not necessarily used to using at the moment. When you see something, like you seem like to gravitate towards that. So this seems to be like right in your journey right here, just picking up another new thing. Exactly. So that and that's what it was. Like you're, you hit the nail on the head with that. Like yeah. Oh, always just gravitated to just something new like a different way to express myself or like express a vision or have fun honestly at the core just like man I'm just trying to like have fun if this feels good and you know I wasn't even thinking about anybody but myself I was like this makes me feel good and this is fun you know so he gave me those and I took that shit home and like I downloaded the the Serato the, the free Serato and I would be on there just messing around with it all day I had an iMac desktop and uh and that my mom bought for me 
that was like the biggest sacrifice she ever did and she got it for me yeah after much begging yeah like and she bought a credit and had a bill for it and everything like she had five kids oh man five kids we were living in a two-bedroom apartment she had five kids and she bought me an imac bro like that's epic you know what i mean like seven of us in a two-bedroom and my mom got me an iMac just because I want I needed that to to do what I wanted to do, and she believed in it. Hell yeah! So you know what I mean. So um, damn, that makes me emotional. But, no, uh, dude, I've de- I definitely understand. No, I feel. I mean, like I I'll never forget. Like I I used, I used to have a background making music, and uh, I can never forget going to like uh, Sam Ash. I was more a Sam Ash guy versus Guitar Center, and then my my parents. I was I wanted to get a beat machine, and um, I I, did, I was looking at hardware, but then this one sales rep showed me this thing called Reason, and um, I didn't I didn't know what it was. He showed me all these music instruments, but then after showing me like all these fifty whatever music instruments that this one software had, he's like, okay, the price tag is five hundred dollars, and I'm like five hundred dollars, and I'm at the time what in uh, freshman in high school, and I'm like, there's no way I'm getting this. This sounded really cool, but my budget was a hundred bucks maybe if my parents let me have that. But then you know my parents go off to the side, and you know I've been making music for like at that time for like maybe a couple years or whatever. But then they go off to the side and they come back and say, okay, we'll go ahead and do it. I'm just like, wait, what? Five hundred bucks? You're gonna do this? Yeah, like, it's just bro. you just you don't you know it's like you know this is a big deal. This is like what? So like yeah, I could definitely understand the sentiment. Just like God damn, it's like. You believe in me that much to to kind of invest into something like this and then and just let me explore this thing and you know not really concerning whether or not you're gonna go off and like they weren't like oh you got to go off and be somebody big now just enjoy yourself yeah. and doing your thing and you know that that's it so I just remember what you're saying about your, your 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 parents and your mother earlier just about you having that freedom to just explore I think again that's so important I've always been a fan of that you know where it's just like you never know with just that positive freedom like that where you just let your your kids just explore their creativity or just their interest in life and with no expectations besides just let them do something that they feel passionate about uh yeah i mean i think that goes a long way man so i love hearing that so i i definitely understand that the sentiment there 100 percent. i definitely feel you on that one yeah my mom big sacrifice so yeah no so i was i remember i would i would be djing off of that i would be editing videos off of that and like i would pull up with that to downtown LA, I would get on the Blue Line train with my iMac in the box. Really, riding <laughs> oh, through man. fucking riding through Watts, the Watt station, and oh, all. Man. Like I'm riding through. I mean, every station. You know what I mean? I seen people get robbed on that train. Yeah. I would be robbing to downtown with the iMac in a box, bro. Oh my man! Like, and I would go and I would set it up and I would be editing in the in the living room. Like we was living on Seventh and San Pedro, bro, right off of Skid Row, like <laughs> right there on the on the little. There's like some nasty little apartments right there. That was wild, crazy times. But um, and I would stay the night down there sometimes, a few nights in a row. My mom would be like, "Where are you?" I'm like, "I'm at Kyle's. We're just working on stuff." I, I would set it up at the the indie pop office, which was the the label he was working with, and they were on Seventh in Los Angeles at the time, just in like the Anjack Fashion Building, one of those buildings like on the fourth floor. So like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that was like that was the beginning of all of that, and I started DJing, and then you know Kyle's music just started. His fan base was growing, and we were opening up for like G Easy and stuff. I remember the very first time I ever even got on a stage. The first time I ever been to a concert was at the Roxy. And I was like, and I'll never forget G Easy had like, he had this song, I think it was called Loaded or something like that. And um, this is like 2014, because he was the first person we had ever, like, Kyle had ever opened up for. This is before I was even DJing. And uh, I remember there was this time where it's like he had this song he would play and and like he would bring all the homies out 
and just throw water, you know, just straight classic, just concert. Yeah. Everybody just come out and throw water at the end. Yeah. But this is like my first concert experience ever. And I'm like 15 at this time. Oh, shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, snuck, got snuck in <laughs> to the back <laughs> yeah. of the Roxy. They wouldn't even let me up and on the rocks afterwards. Like, I had to go home. Oh, but, man. Yeah, I'm tragic. I had to deal with that for six years. Like, man, it's gonna be six years till I'm 21. This is crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm 24 now. Yeah. But um, so yeah, no. So I remember the first time I ever even saw a stage. Like, was it right there with Jeezy throwing some water on some 400 people in the Roxy. Like, yeah. Oh my God, this is wild. I staged over and I hit the floor. I thought it was gonna work. I saw it in the movies. It didn't work how it looked in the movies. Literally jumped off the stage, kind of got caught, but definitely ended up on the floor having to pick myself up. So that was like, there's a picture of that, too. I'm going to say, crazy. yeah, there has to be something like that circulating somewhere. And at this time, too, I'm curious to know, were, were, were you and Kyle like, OK, like after that experience or, or were you guys kind of like, you're going to be my DJ as, as I'm getting ready to do more of these shows? Or was it at that point? That was my first time being like, oh, wow, this is my first exposure to even a concert space bro like i've been i've been a child up to this point like this is my first time like oh wow I'm, I'm out in the world and it's not with my mom and like i'm with these dudes i'm with i'm with kyle right now like he's still like drake to me in my mind you know what i mean so uh so nah i was just djing on my own time but and he added his own dj this guy named g nash who actually has really successful music and is a good friend of mine and he went on to have his own music career but he was djing for kyle really early on and I just remember, I was like, dang, I want to DJ. I feel like I could do that, you know? And I had the turntables. and But then, like, after his very first shows, a few of them, he uh, he was just like, yo, I think, like, you should DJ for Kyle. I, I remember, I think Nolan said it first, his manager. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, that was like, cool. Bet. I'm going to do that to the fullest capacity. And just was, like, imagining what it looked like. And, you know, long story short, we ended up going on tour like shortly after that, I'm 16 now. Uh, it's it's 2014, and we're opening up. It's our very first tour ever. We're opening up for Watsky. I don't know if you know Watsky. He's a he's like a really like technical rapper, but we're opening up for Watsky. And before us, opening up before us. This is late. This is October 2014. This tour started. Anderson Pack. <laughs> Opening before Kyle on while we opened for Watsky on a 42 city tour. This is he dropped Venice during this tour. And bro, Anderson's show every night was insane. Insane. We were watching his whole show every night. You know, like, well, I don't know if you've ever been on tour, but when you go on tour, you're, you're hearing the same thing every single night, start to finish. And like, you know, like you just get tired of it and you just go chill in the green room or go chill on the tour bus or whatever you have. Anderson, we would watch Anderson's entire show every night, bro, because he was doing the same thing he does to this very day, which was drumming like a complete musical maniac and singing at the same time. And I like we had so much fun on that tour. And I would I would literally tell Anderson, like, bro, you're going to be so much bigger than every single person <laughs> on this tour every night. And you give me that big old smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And, and okay, sorry. I'm just telling the full story because I've never done this. And I yeah. think this is important. Go ahead, man, please. Rewind a year before this tour, a year and a half before this tour, when I was still 14. I was 14. This was as soon as I got to California, two months after. I shot a video for Anderson when he used to go by Breezy Lovejoy because I hit him up on Twitter too when I was in the hit people up on Twitter mode. 
And I shot a music video for him in a fucking K-Town mall. And I still have the music video link uploaded. Like, 15-year-old me directing a video for when he used to go by Breezy Lovejoy. Oh, shit. I got to like, find that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to send you the link after this. Yes, sir. It's, 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 it's unlisted on one of my old-ass okay, channels. Okay. But I'm going to send you the link because it's just crazy. Because then once we ended up on that tour, he was like, yo, you're the kid that shot that video for me. And I'm like, yeah, bro, it's crazy. We're on tour together now. You know what I mean? Like, that was my first time DJing. It was like a full circle moment already. You know what I mean? So that tour, I mean, shit, the rest is history. We went on the tour for five years and, um, you know, four or five, six years. And through DJing, I realized, like, man, like, we put so much passion into that show Every night we were doing choreographed routines and we would always be adding these new different interactive elements to where it wasn't just like, oh, two dudes jumping up and down and throwing water. Like we really looked at that show like an art piece. Now I feel like everybody should look at their show like an art piece because it is. It's like you're on display for people. You know, it's like you're playing these songs, but it's like this. It was like we were literally living art. That And that's how we always felt. And it's interesting because I feel like, oh, my God, we never got the credit for it. But like. Our show was something so different and so special, bro. Like, that show that we would do every night, like, I mean, shoot, I've probably done over 300 shows at this point. But it was just so different and so special, bro. Like, there was nothing like it. Like, there was, like, the dance routines we would be doing, really, and just the interaction as DJ rapper. Like, it was really, like, on some Will Smith, Jazzy Jeff shit. Yeah, that's a very spot on. But the music just, it wasn't Will Smith, Jazzy Jeff music necessarily. But, like, you know, it was just, it was fun, bro. I just really had fun during that time. I was really being a kid and, like, learning and just traveling like i'm 16 17 years old on my first tour in 2014 and like full 42 city tour in a white 15 passenger van with three other grown men that you know what i mean my mom trusted me to go do that like that that was wild to me so um you know we ended up i ended up performing at coachella that year too. i was gonna ask you this is gonna we're gonna bring bring this to, to this point as well because you have a history of performing at coachella and i'm just curious to know from your perspective as an artist and as a dj especially now knowing just like you know your age at that time and also just you know just you kind of having those entries to the game you know like basically in 2015 if i'm correct you, you performed at coachella for your very first time but it was at the um silent uh the camping ground silent disco area if i'm correct right well yeah i did the sahara set too i just had like the earliest set that was crazy perfect perfect so i'm just curious to know about that experience first because eventually we know you would come back again but just knowing about your first time at coachella what was that like for you i mean yo like (laughs) i can't even describe what that was like like it makes no sense to me that it even happened i i think i was 19 at that coachella i might be wrong maybe 18 50 it was 2015 i was born in 97 yeah i was 18 so um so, you know, I was 18 years old and I I actually met, you know, Bill from Golden Voice. Everybody knows Bill. If you don't know Bill, come on, guys. You're, yo, and Bill is literally the greatest human on the earth, bro. Like, that's the most selfless man I've ever met in my life. And, like, he met me at the end of that Watsky tour where Anderson was opening. And when he saw me and Kyle perform that night he was just so impressed with like my performance and just my passion and like I feel like he could just see what I was about because he is just like a next level type of human being like just genius mentor 
there's so many great words to describe Bill, but like professional human, really, I think. But um, yeah, he saw that he saw that fire inside of me and has supported me ever since then, like so selflessly. You know what I mean? And he's definitely he put me on the Golden Voice radar, and it's how I ended up performing at Coachella. The I guess that was two years after that. But um, and that was my solo DJ set too. So it was just like so cool, you know. It was like just me, you know. I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Like it wasn't even with Kyle or anything. It was like I performed at the Sahara Tent in Coachella 2015, just doing a DJ set. Like that was wild to me, you know. So my mom was there, and like it was just like such a crazy moment. Kyle was there. I brought Kyle out. He did a song that was that we hadn't released yet at that time, and. And then I ended up doing the silent disco later that night. And that was like hammer. Like there's nothing to ever describe the energy that was in that silent disco. I've been there, dude. That that spot is 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 crazy. I went there in 2014 and like I still I'm still like look at those videos to this day that I have recorded. It's it's so much energy. I brought such a different vibe in there too. And that's and that was like my favorite thing. I was like, I think like the dance and the EDM music was really popping at that time. But, like, also the whole, like, SoundCloud scene was kind of popping off, too, at that time. And, like, I just, the way I fused it together, like, I don't have the set recorded or anything. But, man, that is, like, my favorite set I've ever played. The energy was so indescribable. And, like, I cried on stage that night. And it was just, you know, I'm like, whoa, what's happening in my life? This is all going really fast. Like, I was 14 five years ago already. That was five years ago. Like, four or five years ago and I was just kind of getting out here and this was all like you know and here we are even another five years removed from that and um a lot has happened between then and now and through DJing all those years I that's what brought me to producing and um we ended up having some super major success with the song I Spy that I co-produced that song just like was so much bigger than any of us would have ever anticipated because it was just another song we were making you know for the fans or whatever it was just like another song you know it wasn't like we're like oh my god we're masterminding this giant hit you know what i mean it was just like okay another song and then it just picked up instantly and we were like what's going on how was the video dude because i looked at the video a couple couple uh days ago and you know and it's just like man this video looks so so much fun just the creativity it reminded me of like like busta rhymes like or like just with the animations and the and the, you know with the, the big size heads and stuff like that and the kids and and just the, the look of everything so how was it like working on like the song on that song in particular then then going to the video and just bringing that vision to life I I didn't work on that video in particular. Okay. Colin Tilly directed that video, and I just remember just like I don't know, bro. Like it was just it was just another song. Like I specifically I only worked on a small part of the song, and but it was like things would always like after something gets made, and then everybody's like listening to it, and Kyle's sending it around, and it's like oh I think we should have this, we should add that, take this out, you know. So that was that was my production role on that song. But, um, what's it called? The video, I remember showing up to that video like, oh yeah, we, uh, we made it, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it was a huge production in Malibu, like, huge production, like, so many girls, it was like 50 girls, like, it was so much going on, like, the green screens and the amount of cameras and, like, just the location we were in Malibu, like, it was... It was crazy, bro. That was like definitely such a insane thing to witness with your own two eyes. It was like the, the stuff you see in movies 
where you're like, oh yeah, this is what it, this is what Hollywood looks like in movies. Like that was my first face to face experience with like, oh yeah, this is Hollywood, you know, because the song just got so big, so they shot a big video to it, and um, yeah, it was that was crazy. That song is like six times platinum now, and it was you know it, it helped kickstart a lot for me as a producer because at that point, like while we were on tour, I was starting to produce and I would be doing nothing but making beats on my laptop every day in the van, all day, every day. As soon as we get to the green room, I would set up the speakers in the green room and just be making beats in a terribly echoey green room. Like it was just like, that was my whole thing. So that moment was like extremely validating and low key, extremely early. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. Like I barely started producing two years ago, <laughs> like two and a half years ago. What was that go-to software? I'm curious as, as, a, as a gearhead myself. What, what was that? Ableton. Ableton. Oh, dude, man. I can never figure out Ableton. That's amazing. That's that's man, Yeah. Ableton. I had a, my, my homie Naz, man. That's the man who really glued everything together. He was the main producer on iSpy and the dude who really put me in the game on everything. Ableton gave me all of his drum sounds in the beginning, like, Showed me all the ropes about everything, Naz, and he like produces a lot of Kyle stuff still to this day. But um, yeah, no, Ableton, that was the start. But uh, yeah, so you know, we kind of like time passed with that, and that song happened, and we toured for a couple more years, and then you know, like low key 2019, yeah, two years ago or so, that was about when it was like, all right, well, we we did like everything we could do here really you know so i kind of just decided like i was gonna stop touring and stop djing for kyle and just start like trying to figure out what the brick life looks like you know and that was like a long period and it was not even like bad blood or anything it was literally just like a dang bro we've done all the shows we can do we've done coachella twice now like you know, we've done Lollapalooza, and I played Camp Flognaw, and, like, we did all the cool stuff, like, that we could do together, and, you know, toured the nation five times over, opened for a few people, done headlining tours, cool. I was just like, all right, like, I don't know, I didn't even know what I wanted to do next, but I was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to stop DJing, and so I, I just stopped DJing out of nowhere, and, like, and um, I just, like, was going through a lot of personal shit in my own you know, mental space too at that time where, you know, just typical self-worth struggles and that stuff that we experience as human beings. But I just wanted to, you know, face it head on. So I just took a step back from everything and kind of... I mean, I know you should give yourself time, but we're, we're, we're maybe... Because I know you're doing your brick by brick, um, you know, art pieces as well underneath that banner. Is this kind of where maybe throughout this, you know, maybe taking a step back from DJing and music where you start getting to maybe some other ways to express yourself? Man, honestly, when I like kind of took a step back from DJing for a bit, it was not about anything. It was like literally like, dude, who am I? What do I want? You know, like I feel like anybody can identify with this. And this is never, like, even shade to anybody that I've ever worked with. But, like, you know, like, you start to, you can start to lose yourself and lose your identity in something that you're doing, you know? Like, you believe that you are what you're doing, but you're not. You're still yourself. You're still, like, singular human being. You know what I mean? Like, you're not what you're doing. Like, you are you are Jarvis, you know what I mean? Like, so me, like, I just got really like, just, man, like I believe in what I'm doing so much that I don't know who I am. Like I am so associated with what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like that I needed to find that space 
for myself in between there to be like, okay, who am I and what do I want to do? You know, so that was my opportunity to just like step back and figure that out. And, you know, like I finally, you know, it was a lot of years of of working, but like the music kind of started to pay off a little bit more to where I was like, cool, like I can like chill and not be super stressed about bills all the time. You know, like it just started to be able to like pay my basic life expenses. So that like gave me that space to be like, okay, let me figure out who I am. And, uh, shoot, I didn't, I didn't figure it out for quite some time and I didn't put my pressure on myself to do so either. I was like, dude, I'm just going to live day by day, like, and build this brick by brick. Like there was so many phases of just like, okay, well, what's it called? What's the next thing? Okay, boom, I'm going to promote myself. And, you know, I, um, fall in love and I fell in love with somebody and then that didn't end up working out. And like, there was like so much you know, we all go through that like phase in life where you're just kind of purging and relearning about yourself, you know? And, uh, I had that, that dip, not dip, not definitely dip. That was a dip. (laughs) I had that dip in my life where I just, but it was a healthy dip for myself. And, um, yeah, no. And I, and I think through that was where I started to just, as I I started to heal, like I said, I, I fell in love too in that time. And, I would travel a bit. I went to Brazil and spent a good amount of time in Brazil. I learned to speak Portuguese fluently, which I still speak to this day. And like, just continue to challenge myself in new ways that weren't necessarily related to, you know, creativity or music or art, you know? And, um, I, but also through this whole time, I am still making a ton of music and I'm producing every day, all day. And, um, yeah. And that kind of leads us to, 2020, which was when I was like, cool, I've been ducked off for a couple years and I'm about to release all this stuff. Finally, I want to show the world who I am. I've never released anything myself. Boom, it's about to be my year and da, 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 and I'm about to drop these videos and this and that. And boom, COVID hits. Like I was just gearing up to do everything. Like I was getting these animations together for these videos I was doing. And I was just like, obviously that just put a huge damper on stuff. And you're trying to figure out like, dang, like, well, as it was, in retrospect, we can maybe now think of what we should have done, but like when it was happening, nobody really knew what to do. We're like, do we drop stuff? Like, do we hold on to stuff? Like, you know, and then June rolls around and we're like the social justice, you know, fight reignites and, and, you know, then it challenged everybody just socially and morally. Like, damn, does this shit I'm doing really matter? Like, what am I making beats? Like, what the fuck is that doing for anybody? You know, like, make, you know, so there was all those types of questions where you're like, man, I want to do something for people that like me. Like, I want to do something for something bigger than myself, but I just don't know what it is. Like, all I know how to do is make beats and DJ and everything's closed. And what do I do? You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and that's what made me just want to reignite that flame that I had as a child, which was just like, be a kid. Like, enjoy yourself, get creative. There's not a lot around and like do what you can with what you got, which is what we've always done. So to me, like when I, one day when I was at the beach, I was just like chilling, you know, at the beach. And this lady came up with a bunch of boogie boards for for like 10 bucks. And I was like, Ooh, I want one of those. And, um, so I bought this boogie board from her and, I went out into the water and I was just like using this little cheapo foamy board, which I still have like a little foam boogie board that could like snap in half, like so easily. Um, 
And I just remember being like, dang, that was like really fun. Like I was just out in the water. Like my girl was sitting on the beach, like on the shore, Foofy. And uh, she, uh, and yeah, and I was just out in the water, just playing around. Like, And I was like, this is fun. Like I had so much fun that day. And I was like, you know what? I want to stand up on one of these. Like I should low key get a surfboard. Like, which is such a, what if, and like one of my biggest quotes in life is what if is the gift? Like when you say, what if, that's like, boom, that's the gift from God. He's like, here you go, buddy. You said, what if? Like, you're imagining a future where this thing happens. You are on earth with the 10 fingers and 10 toes, a brain and a heart to make it happen. You know what I mean? So uh, I was like, cool, I'm going to get a surfboard and went on Instagram because I got a lot of friends on Instagram. And I was like, yo, who has a surfboard I can borrow? And then my, my homegirl Nikita hit me back like, oh. You can you can have mine. I don't ever use this one or whatever. And I ended up getting this board from her. And then I was like, cool. Hit up, offer up, got a wetsuit. I was like, bet, I'm out. And I just hit the beach again like a few days later. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm trying this thing out. I was at Doc Weiler Beach by myself. And uh and and then I remember some of the homies were like, ha ha, you know, like cool. Like you're out there surfing. It was this was, mind you, September 2020. So this is second half of 2020, late August, early September. And, um, yeah, I just started going out there like two, three days in a row. I went out there and I was sore. took a break, took a day off, went out again. And I was just having hella fun with it. And I live in Hollywood. So I was driving from Hollywood to the beach every day. So then like one day I'm just like on Instagram posting me surfing and this dude named Gage, who's like, he's a, a, a random dude on Instagram at this point in time. But um, he hits me up like, yo, bro, like I surf too. It's not, it's not no other black people that surf. Like, let's link up. And I'm like, bet. Let's do it, bro. Where you stay at? East Hollywood. Cool. Pick me up tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. He didn't even have a profile picture or anything. Just like complete random dude come through to pick me up. Like, cool. And um, yeah, he comes through. Black dude got dreads. I was like, cool. This is a black dude surfing. I'm out here trying to learn. Like, he he didn't know how either. He just had a board. He'd been a couple times, but it was like nah, I just honestly haven't had like anybody to go with or I don't know anything. So, which is the common story. Like nobody black knows anybody that surfs because black people don't really surf. And even if you do, it's like, you, you're like, dang, like, what do you do? You know what I mean? It's such, such an intimidating space. Like it's like the ocean, the waves. Oh my God, are you going to get bit by a shark? And then you show up and you're like, oh wait, this is all white people. Crazy. So, so we just, we linked up and that right there was like, as we started to go out more and more, and it's funny enough because Gage was like a fan of me and had been following me since like 2015. And like, I actually ended up scrolling back recently and he had sent me messages like 2015, 2016. Hey bro, man, I love what you're doing. So it was just like hella like full circle that he like, you know, we ended up hanging out and like, we're super good friends to this day. It's almost kind of like I'm listening to your story now. It's almost like how you were with Tyler a little bit, right? Uh, in, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. No, same exact thing, bro. Same exact thing. So he hit me up and just like on a fluke, I ended up just like, all right, bro, just come through, whatever, you know, like I like to do for people what I, what I wish people would have done for me. And, you know, and people have done that for me. And I'm like, I'm always going to pay that forward. Like, I don't look at, like, I hate that, like, certain people look at followers, like, fans or something. Like, I'm like, bro, these are human beings. These are, like, people who just like what you do. Like, that's the, that's, like, arguably the best people that you can connect with is because they're connecting with you. You know what I mean? So, um, so, you yeah, know, I was like, cool. You fit, the, you fit the criteria for a friend. You're black. You're doing something I'm trying to do. It's a very different thing. Like, let's kick it, you know? So, um, 
we started going out so much and I was like, yeah, bro, this is something like we got to start a, a little squad out of this or something like that. And he's like, yeah, hell yeah, bro. Like Gage is a, he's a photographer and he's like a choreographer and a dancer. And, um, you know, he does very different stuff than me, but you know, just another kid in LA, like making ends meet off of his creativity. So, uh, so yeah, I was like, one day the name just hit me. I was like, black sand. And so that's where our surf and arts collective Black Sand was formed. It was just literally like, yeah, this is something because we're out here in a space where nobody looks like us. And this feels like something just because we're here. Like we're the only ones not in uniform and the uniform is black wetsuit and a white face. And when you pull a paddle out there and the only thing you're wearing that's different is that your skin is black, you stand out instantly the moment you go out there. And then you got to deal with like, these people have been doing this their whole life and you're brand new. So you might be looking like, oh my God, this guy's a newbie or whatever. You got to deal with that whole ego and just the racism that exists there too. So there's a lot of these things, but like we, me and him are just both strong-minded people who are also just like fucking low-key just comedians in our own right. So like, we don't even think about that. You know what I mean? Like, we're like, yeah, we know that's out here, but that was an early promise to myself in even taking on the surf journey was like, I'm not surfing for anybody but me. Like, this isn't for Instagram. This isn't for these dudes out here to be like, good wave, bro. Like, I don't care about that. Like, I'm not, a, I don't care. Like, I'm not, I'm out there fully for me. Like, I'm not out there to impress somebody. I'm not out there to be self-conscious, like about looking stupid or whatever people want to call it. And that was, and Gage had that same type of attitude and that's why we connected so hard. Hell so. yeah. And that's gotta be liberating too, right? It's just like, you know, and knowing that like, you know, this is, you know, this is, you're doing this for you. You're not doing this and, and not and just even not saying that you think about some of the other things you got involved with, you're doing it for necessarily for other people or for, for numbers, but just, or whatever, you know, but it's just, you know, like this moment right here is just, it was you, your friend, your boards, the waves and. Exactly. And like, shoot, like Erica Badu said, the man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. Like, and that's how I approach everything. I'm like, I know I don't know anything about this space and I'm going to come in here and absorb it. And you got to just understand, you start to see and you learn, you go watch some YouTube videos. You feel like you understand the etiquette. You start to understand the etiquette and the rules and, you know, even just kinetically how to move your body and what's more efficient, what's less efficient, what works and what doesn't. And, you know, like be fearless in this space without doing it like, oh, I'm being fearless. You know, it's just like we're out here just being, you know. And um, yeah, so I thought a really important part after I began to spend, you know, t almost 20 hours a week surfing, I was like, I'm treating this like a part time job. Like I need to intersect my creative abilities in one way or another, you know. So um, I was like, let's document this process, like the process of just like learning like the process is the coolest part like getting there is always the coolest part like once you arrive it's like oh, okay cool i have a, a six times platinum plaque hanging on my wall i look at it every day it doesn't make me really feel like anything but like every step of the way getting to there was like the true gold that you take with you for the rest of your life you know what i mean like that's that's what you really like that resonates with your soul so i was like man let's being brand new at something is so beautiful and like, let's show that. And let's also just shoot. Maybe there's a black kid out there who wants to surf, but isn't motivated to a black, brown kid, whoever. And because they don't see anybody that looks like them. There's no representation in the entire sport for us. Like you go look at like the Instagram account of any surf brand right now. Just go look and tell me what you see. Like I'm not even, I'm not naming any names, but tell me what you see. So 
to me, I was like, cool, we got to interject like these intersect this like culture of that I'm from, which is just, you know, black culture, music culture, L.A. culture, some things that have a very fine red lining between black music, L.A. culture and surf culture. They live right next to each other, but they never intersect, you know, so so I was like, I need to do that. And that's why I was like, let's just start making some videos and kind of just show people who we are and make some collages and just, you know, show mixed creativity and activity in a way. And like, that was what Black Sam was initially about. And um, we just kept doing it through September, October, November. We went to Kauai and which is where we linked with our other uh, member, Trey Len. And he's like our sensei really. Cause he was the one who was giving us all the advice through the dms early on he just found he found out that we were learning and he's been serving for like six years out in Kauai, and uh and he just gave us so much game early on so when we actually ended up going to Kauai, we linked up with him and he put us into some like eight foot waves like off the bat we're two months deep and we're we're already charging eight foot waves like let's go you know and it was it was so fun and it was so cool and um you know so we're documenting all of this and just taking pictures and getting creative and collaging it. And like I said, making videos and I bought a new camera and we just started shooting and editing little videos and, you know, 2021 shows up and then February shows up. And this is where the, all of this, uh, the black sand really got put on a different, you know, it got, it, it got a lot of attention. <laughs> you weren't even trying. Like I, I just, that's, that's one thing I, I picked up on when I started hearing about this story and, and they kind of circling our way too, about this, um, you know, it's just like you were out there doing something you love and then you encountered, you know, you encountered this racism just, just from doing something that you're passionate about and that you love and, you know, and then just how it grew bigger than this, as far as how you responded to it. Yeah. I mean, dude, like, well, for those, for, for those who don't know what happened, Basically, me and Gage are minding our merry own business and surfing at the Manhattan Beach Pier, which we've now been surfing for the past six months, almost every day. And uh, we got into like a little, there was just like a little incident with a traffic jam with two kids in the water. But then out of nowhere emerges this other surf person who... <laughs> Decided he wanted to call us the N-word over and over and tell us, oh, paddle down to the other beach. You don't belong here. Get out of here. N-word, N-word, N-word. You know, the F-word, everything. Like, not the F-word, like, F-U-C-K, but the, you know, the homophobic slur. Like, saying everything in the book to try and offend us and kick us out of this beach. And it was just, like... It was just wild to me, like, cause I, like, we, like I said, we never showed up in that space. Like, we're here to, you know, fight for our rights. Like, we were just there being. Like, it's crazy because just being black there, your existence is resistance. Like, for some reason, being a black surfer is just organically an act of rebellion. So, just by the nature of the sport and the the you know entire culture of the sport that we see forward facing and that is promoted, that doesn't include or represent black people or people of color at all. So, so at that moment, like once that happened, I was just like, wow, like, I can't believe this is happening. First of all, nonstop, repeatedly calling me the N word, throwing water in my face, handfuls of water for a minute straight. Now everybody's like, man, why don't you fire on that dude? And I'm like, bro, I'm at the Manhattan beach pier. I'm a black man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm a black man at the Manhattan beach pier. 
Like, there's people on the pier watching us. That we're surrounded by white people. <laughs> there's nobody out there who's going to speak up for us or advocate for our rights. Like, hey, dude, that's not right. Why are you doing that to them? That's wrong. You get out of here. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to defend us, you know, and nobody's going to be on my side if I'm the one that's attacking. If I decide to physically attack this man, mixed with the fact that I just don't care enough like about what was being said, those words didn't offend me. Like those words will offend you if there's truth to them, but I'm not that, you know, and that's what he thought I was. And that's his own ignorance. You know what I mean? So to me, I was just like, all right. And I looked him in his face while he's throwing water in my face and calling me the N word. And I told him, you have to live with this. I told him that exactly. I said, you're the one that has to live with it. Throwing water in my face. N word, N word, N word, throwing my face in the, throwing water in my face. And I'm telling him, you're the one who has to live with this. You have to go home and deal with this in the mirror. You're going to have to look at the mirror tonight and deal with this. Not me. And that was all I said. I told, I told my boy Gage. My boy Gage was there, and he was getting into it with some of the other kids because now the other kids were arguing. But a lot of the other kids got silent. The kids who the initial like traffic jam was with was because, I mean, and they were like 16 years old, so I'll even give them the benefit of the doubt. This man is a grown-ass man. He's probably close to his 40s. So I'm like... You know, that's why I had no tolerance for him whatsoever. And mixed with the fact that it's just pure hatred, pure uncalled for hatred. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, just get out of here, bro. Like, and, and it's funny because actually I forgot this detail. Gage tells the kids around him, don't be like this guy. Don't be racist. And. That is the first time that somebody else out there spoke up and said something. A white man finally emerges and breaks his silence after hearing us call the N-word 30 times. After Gage tells the kids, don't be racist, white guy pulls up and says, come on, guys, let's not make this about race. Like, it was, it's so wild to me that, like, you're only going to defend and be on defense when you feel attacked. Like, in my opinion, me being called an N-word should be an attack on everybody around me that is in solidarity or alleged solidarity or that is not racist. You know what I mean? The people go, oh, I'm not racist. Like, if you're not racist, that should be an attack on you. Or, I mean, <laughs> but that's not the truth because you got to be anti-racist. So if you're anti-racist, hearing that is an attack on you. But everybody there was just not racist. That's it. They're just like, well, I'm not racist. I'm not going to be the one to say it, but I'm not going to defend you if it gets said. That's the problem with being not racist. So there was no anti-racist present, and therefore the attack was only on us. And the attack wasn't on anybody else until the word racist came out. Now you've officially damaged the ego of this white surf man over here who is not racist. But you said racist, and now he's like, let's not make this about race. Like, that to me said everything I needed to know. I'm like, yo, Gage, let's get out of here, bro. So we just dipped. We got out the water. And, and it was just crazy because once we got out the water, everybody who was on the pier saw what happened and, like, really, literally, quite literally came running to our aid and, like, swarmed around us. Like, oh, my God, that's so wrong. We just saw that whole thing. We can't believe what just happened. And then this other older black man named Rashidi had happened to grab a photo of it. And I was just, like, when I saw that photo, I was like, oh, my goodness, bro. Like please airdrop me that. 
Please airdrop me that. I, I couldn't believe he had a picture of it. Like, I just assumed that was something I was about to have to just take on the chin and go home with, you know? So he has a picture of this man throwing the handful of water in my face in the moment that he's saying it. And you can just tell because, like, my body language in that photo clearly says, like, I'm not giving you any of the attention that you're trying to get from me. And his body language is clearly trying to agitate me and committing essentially a hate crime, <laughs> you know? So... That photo just, I mean, I just pretty transparently, like, captioned it on the Black Sand page. Like, hey, this is what happened today. I, I think I captioned it. I think the first silence was, hey, the, the first sentence on the caption was, hey, this guy woke up and chose violence today. Got called a N-word at the pier. Da, 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 you know, like, and that, that was the caption. We just, like, told the story. And me and Gage actually got on Instagram Live on my personal page to just kind of tell all my people on my personal page, like, yo, this is what happened. And it wasn't like, we weren't trying to do a damn press run over it. Like we weren't doing this for attention. We were just like, bro, this is crazy. Like we, the whole drive home, we're just talking about it. We're like, bro, this is wild that this happened. So we were just like, why this time I got home, like Gage left my house. Like we always drive back together and he has a motorcycle. So we drive to my house and then he takes his motorcycle back home. But like he took his motorcycle back home and I called him. I was like, bro, we got to get on live and tell people what just happened because that was wild, bro. Like what just happened was crazy. Like the more it sank in and the more I looked at that photo, I'm like, this is insane. So we get on live and we just tell the story. It's like a 47 minute live or something. You know what I mean? Like it's a long, it's a long video. And a lot of people watch the whole thing because people were telling me about, you know, part recalling parts of the, the whole story. So I'm like, I, when I get on Instagram live, I have about 26 people on my live. Like that's my average. And I have 70 something thousand followers. Like the algorithm is just, that's just how it works in favor for some people. I have like 20, 10 to 20 people on my live, literally. And this day I had told a little bit of the story on my story. And so everybody wanted to hear it. So this time I had like a hundred people on there, which was a lot for me, you know, and even having 75,000 followers, a hundred people on my live is a lot. So, but even still, it's not like the world. So, like I said, I'm not telling this story thinking like it's about to travel across the world because I've been getting a ton of, oh my God, you guys are doing this for attention. And da, 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 da. I'm like, bro, it's sad that you think we're doing this for attention. The, the fact of the matter is we just told the story of some bullshit that happened and it resonates because it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like, we're not out here looking for attention. I'm over here transparently documenting this journey. Nobody cared about the Black Sand Surf thing when I first started it. The page had like... 150 followers over the course of two or three months like none of my music industry friends care about that or like none of like the people i'm following that's not why they follow me like surface and very niche community and i didn't blame anybody for that i didn't care oh like i said i wasn't doing it for anybody other than like let me document this journey so the fact that this happened was just like synchronicity like it's just like whoa this is this was meant to happen like I'm the one who happens to have built the tools to be able to tell the story the way it needs to be told and address this problem the way it needs to be addressed and find the solutions that need to be found. Because that's something that I've been conditioned to do through all of my work as a, you know, a creative and an organizer an event organizer. And that's why to me, like the first response was like, we have to get people together. Like I DJ and throw parties for the past six years of my life. Like, do shows and do Coachella and all that and after parties like that's my life so you know obviously being in COVID there hasn't been any of that but to me this was like yo we show up to the beach it's the beach people still wearing masks and all that and we have something to say and we organized the Black Sand Peace Paddle which is the first of its kind but I, I hope to make this a quarterly thing but hell yeah 
it was literally just a response about like we got to reset the tone of the ocean like i hate that i had to come into this space just knowing that i'm gonna have to succumb to the fuck shit that is happening out here to be honest like the 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 way that this water is set up and the way that there's these rules and there's this localism and this oh bro this is a locals only beach like that's just a covert way of saying this is a whites only beach like you know what i mean like all those type of things that we just look at like whoa bro that's just surf culture that's just how it goes like no bro like there's a point where we gotta like evolve as a society and be like hmm maybe slavery isn't a good idea maybe we should give these humans the rights to do what they want and not force them to be like work for us for free you know like there was a point in society where we had to go yeah this isn't right the way this is set up and let's change it. And that change did take time, you know? So this is one of those things where I'm like, Hey, surf world, like maybe this is the time to be like, Hey, we need to change the way this is. We need to change the way that we treat people, anybody, any person of color, white person, Asian people, Hispanic people, anybody, any human being, you know what I mean? The LGBTQ plus Everybody has their own struggles with entering that space because there's just these archaic system of like, you know, gatekeeping built into it when the ocean is really the freest and purest place that God has put on earth for us. It's 70% of the earth, you know, where you're trying to experience the edge of it. Like those waves travel from hundreds or thousands of miles out in the sea, you know what I mean? all like that's energy just pure energy coming to the land and we're just like capturing the the very tail end of its journey and trying to ride it in before it crumbles on the shore and there's people going no you can't ride these these way these are for white people yeah that's the you know what i mean like Like, that to me like is like what are you talking about bro like this is the purest form of earth that's like being like you can't hike on this trail we don't let black people hike on this trail which there is that too damn near like the whole outdoor space has this problem, but to me, like, f- focusing it on surfing is, like, yeah, like, that was such a reality check for me, because, like I said, we entered the space so, like, carefree, like, man, it is what it is, we're black, whatever, we out here, who's gonna say something, and then somebody said something, and we're like, oh, whoa, this this happens, and it's been happening for a long time, and it's overdue work, and I feel like we have the tools to make that change, and that's, you know, brings us to the present all the way, that's my whole story, and here we are. Black Sand, we we were on the LA Times cover, big, big two-page, full-color cover story on a Saturday morning, like, our picture, and that was, like, wild to me, because I'm like, that's the representation, like, it's not about me, like, I don't care less, I could care less, I don't have a desire to be famous, I'm a producer, like, I've been doing the background stuff the whole time, like, you let, you let the rappers be famous, and you play the background role, so to me it's not about me at all it's literally about solving this problem and like us being that representation that the next 11 year old black kid who's trying to start surfing is like whoa these dudes are cool i want to be like them and then they they are the ones that change this space for eternity it's because they had somebody to look at and be like i can do that because they can do that you know and and that's really the thesis of black sand and what we want to do is just, you know, create resources for the community, continue to build this brand so we can even have economic equity in this space. Cause that's also what it all boils down to is like, we can't ask all the, the surf brands to fight for us. Like we got to fight for ourselves. So building this brand and making sure that all of our products are something that's like meaningful and like solves a problem. Every product is like solving a problem through the message that it is and the place that the money is going. Like that's what, this whole thing is about representation matters like that's 
what it all boils down to. And like, we get to like be that and amplify the voices of the people within our community and, you know, be that flagship for change for the surf community on the surf side, like the pros and the, the, the big surf brands that maybe will tune into this podcast one day because they caught wind of it. Like, wow, this, we need to be promoting diversity in this space. Yeah. And, and like, that's such a big topic among so many different organizations across the board, people trying to figure out how do you promote diversity and how do you have those conversations about it? But I think really having people that are part of the part of the scene, the community that are there really about it, that's that is where you get that authenticity from. And, you know, just hearing you like you're you're again, I just love hearing this so much about how you you came back to Manhattan Beach. You you did the paddle for peace. But then also you just use like, no, this is what we do. We're we're, we're surfing here. We're not going to let this moment here stop what we're what, what we're doing. And we're not going to also like. You know, and too, even even in the middle of that incident, too, I often think about like, I think you, you brought it up during your live, maybe about how like they wanted a certain reaction out of y'all and yep. you didn't give them that. And that how, how that can kind of make people even more, especially racist, where they make them even more mad because it's like all the, yep. the the cliched, you know, racial slurs, homophobic slurs, whatever. They're not working. They're like, well, what, what else do we have to do? Let me splash water exactly. in the face. Let me do all this stupid stuff. And you realize like at the end of the day, who's be, who's being the ass here? Me or you? It's that person that's the racist that that's the one that's looking silly and as you said you're gonna want the one that's live with this as you were telling that person <laughs> bro and i predicted his future bro because i know he is somewhere living with it right now dealing with it i told him you gotta go back home look in the mirror and deal with this and what do you think he is doing right now seeing what is happening did, did have you encountered like anyone from that group or anything like that? Yeah, I know, I know. I've uh, like what the surf the the surf kid who the original like scuffle was with, and it wasn't even a scuffle. It was just like a verbal disagreement. Like he told me, like, "Oh, get the fuck out the way," and I was like, "Hey, look, bro, I show you respect every time I come up here. Just don't talk to me like that. It's all about respect. All I ask for is respect. I give you respect. The end. That was that." The N-word came out of nowhere after that interaction. But the kid where it technically initially started at, like, he apologized that same day in that moment. He was like, bro, my bad. Like, I shouldn't have said that to you like that. Like, I was just hot in the moment. And I was like, bro, it's all good. Like, you know, shit happens. You know, like, we we squashed that instantly. And I see him all the time. And I've seen him multiple times since then. And the problem technically has nothing to do with him. But the, the guy himself who, you know, was saying all the slurs, um... I know a few people who know exactly who he is and I have no desire to know who he is. It doesn't matter to me. That's not part of my mission. You know, uh, I'm gonna let God handle that. Yeah, no, I, I, man, I, I love just the, the outlook and like, you know, I think that's so, so important, but you know, to me, it's just seeing that again, you, you, you stood your ground you and you still go there and, and, y- and y'all are still doing your thing. Hell, I, even in the article at the very end, you talked about how you wanted to move, uh, you plan on moving to Manhattan beach. And I think that's dope too, just having the presence there and just, you know, that's, that's how you break those, those maybe stereotypes, those type of barriers, just the presence, right. And like, no, we're yep. here. We're not going away. We're part of the community where we're, 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 we're entitled to these waves and we're part of this, 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 this culture, everything like we're, we're, we're going to be here so like you know exactly. i think i love i love to see that and just to you know it reminds me for my own personal self sometimes about like when i was interested in skateboarding two different things of course but just like you know especially i'm coming from the coming from the coming from the 90s right like i got the thing of like there's black people don't skateboard you don't see to me yep. there was know? a renaissance in skate too look yeah. what skate looks like now yeah 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 
it's just like, and two, as a kid at that time, one thing that I like about this era and one thing that I like how you said when you created the Instagram account, it was just about you displaying it and putting it out there. Because when I was a kid, hearing the things about black people don't skateboard, it was hard for me to combat that as a kid because I didn't know where to go to get information to say like, no, yes, we do. Literally, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and seeing Kareem Campbell in there was eye-opening for me because that was my first like, oh, there is a black person skateboarding. So to me, for you to have like an Instagram page and stuff like that, and just you putting out that image out there for people to see is so important yep. to me because it's like, no, it is out there. It's not just something that is uh, that's that's made up or tokenized. No, there's a there's multiple people that are into this, and um, you know, so when people say things like, oh, we don't surf, we don't do that, or whatever, you have this real information out there that says, no, yes, we do. We're out there. So keep progressing, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely, bro. You hit the nail on the head with everything that you said. Like. It's all about representation. Like I, like I said, I wrote BMX early on, and I don't know if anybody else knows about BMX, but Nigel Sylvester was another one of my biggest idols right alongside Tyler, the creator. It was like these were people who showed me I can do that. And like, yeah, getting back to Tyler, like, shit, I damn near feel like I accomplished, like, I went platinum more times than Tyler has at this point. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that that's a crazy fact, but like... It all is because he showed me it's possible and I can do it my own way. And that's what I've always stayed true to at the end of the day. And I always in my personal life, when I'm talking to my girl, when I'm talking to the homies, like I give so much credit to Tyler, the creator. That man is a gem and needs to be protected because he lit the flame inside of so many people that are thriving today and in so many different ways. Like that dude is really the he is the godfather of just like modern creativity. I love that. And then I feel like this goes into my last question here, you know, from all your experiences, both, you know, personally, you know, professionally, you know, you know, what advice would you give to someone looking to pursue a passion of theirs as a career? Man, there's no real advice to pursuing the passion besides like pursue it. Like a pursuit is like, you think of a pursuit, you think about like a police chasing somebody or you think about a lion chasing a gazelle, like that's exactly what it is. It's a pursuit. Like you're getting after it until you arrive at it. Like you can't have commit to a pursuit. You can't give up on a pursuit. So to me being like, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to pursue it means you're not going to stop until you're there. So the best advice to give to somebody on a pursuit is to pursue and don't stop like whatever it is you have to believe in it whether you want to open a flower shop or you want to be a nail tech or you want to be a producer or you want to be a a coder or whatever it is you want to be a day trader making a thousand dollars a day every day then pursue it because you will arrive there you know just get your reps in that that's part of the pursuit is like it is repetition you got to keep on going like that's the only that's the only advice I have is like, you know, just pursue it. Like, that's all I ever did. Like, once I've ever been like, this makes me feel good. Does this actually like pay my soul? If it pays my soul, it can pay my bills. Like, that's like, if I'm like, if I do it and it makes me go, whoa, that feels amazing. I can figure out a way to make it pay my bills too. So, and that's what I did with music and DJing and Shit, surfing was like this random thing where I was like, why am I spending so much time doing this? But then I was like, it just feels good. And I kept doing it. And it's just crazy just how something just happened, which made it kind of start working in a way. And now it's like, wow, this is limitless. Like, 
I can share this with everybody. I can share this feeling with everybody and I can help hopefully help somebody else unlock that same freedom within themselves and in their own personal endeavor or the space they may have been afraid or timid to approach because of the people in it not looking like them, you know? So I think, yeah, the best, the best advice to pursuing a passion is, you know, you got to remember what it means to pursue and that's to never stop until you're there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love this so much. Uh, Brick, I appreciate you just so much for just giving us some time here. I love the in-depth, you know, out uh, perspectives that you provided to just your personal journey and just, just everything through throughout your experiences. And just, I love hearing about the curiosity that you've had throughout every single thing that you've encountered through, through your life and, 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 you know, through both, you know, the, 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 the just the entry points of just you getting into video editing and, and, and DJing to, to you stepping into surfing and everything else. Man, it, it's really a truly an amazing journey. I appreciate you just giving us here at the Golden Voice team a little bit of your time as well. And I'm really excited for people to hear this and just for people to take away, you know, your your journey and just to see how they can apply that to, to their lives and how you can inspire that next person um, in, in your life. And maybe one day they may DM you and then you'll come across them somehow, some way and keep that cycle going, man. I really do love it. So, Brick, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jarvis. I appreciate you, man. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Golden Voice changed my life. And just like that, my goodness, Brick, major shout out to you for just coming to the Golden Voice podcast and speaking with us here. It was such an honor to, to talk to Brick. I mean, this is one of those interviews where as you know, not only am I the host, I'm the editor of this podcast too. And I, and I just couldn't like, there was no moments where I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut this part out. No, no, I'm going to cut this part. No, no. There were so many good moments in there. So this is why this episode is, is way longer because I just couldn't cut anything. Brick was dropping so many gems. He had so much great insight and just the energy that he had was super dope. My favorite part of the interview was really listening to Brick talk about, you know, what his mom, you know, did for him and just how supportive his mom was just just about everything that he wanted to do and just very open and very expressive. And just the story about that, getting the iMac for him and, you know, everything that he was doing to kind of get started in music. That was really dope. I like I love those type of come up stories. And then, of course, you could tap in with Brick on social media. Brick is very active on Instagram, so you can check him out over there. Um, it's going to be at underscore 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 Brick. That's at underscore underscore Brick. But if you just type in Brick, you'll be able to find him on Instagram. But then also, if you want to tap in with his surf collective, Black Sand, go ahead and tap in with Black Sand through blacksand.surf on Instagram as well. It's simply blacksand.surf. And from there, you'll be able to find out all the information about what Black Sand has been up to. And this is really dope. Just everything that Brick has been able to do with that. And just, again, just that story, going back to a story, talking about that, you know, that moment of adversity, that moment of racism that he encountered and just taking that negative moment and finding a positive spin, a, a positive outlook on it. I really love that so much, man. So again, that just shows you that energy that, that that Brick has and just that personality that he has. So it's really dope, man. So I can't stress it enough. You know, major shout out to Brick for just coming here and telling his story. And then, of course, you know, Brick has his debut single out, which is called The Start. You can go ahead and check it out on Apple Music, Spotify, uh, YouTube to watch the video. Go ahead. I got the I got the links in the show notes of this episode. So definitely 
definitely go ahead and tap in and check it out because that song is really dope. And then of course you could check out Brick's production work on Do Rag Activity uh, on Baby Keem's latest you know album, The Melodic Blue. Really phenomenal on that one. And again, you know we're wishing Brick the best in everything that he does. We got nothing but love and support for Brick. So again, whatever Brick you're up to next, we would love to hear from you again. So definitely the door is always open for you to come right here to the Golden Voice Podcast. Most definitely. And as I said, I was going to check in with you during the outro, and here we are. And the first thing I got to say is, you know, a major RIP to um, Virgil Abloh. Um, you know, just really hearing the news about Virgil and just it's very, very unfortunate to hear, you know, me coming from Chicago, I'm originally, that's that's where I'm from, uh, just the southwest suburbs of uh, Illinois, right outside the city of Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, but I went to school in uh, downtown Chicago, Columbia College, Chicago. So I always remember seeing a lot of people wearing the RSVP gallery, you know, apparel, you know, as I'm getting introduced to the city and the Chicago music scene and the Chicago creative scene, that name and just that work of a Virgil was, was definitely something that was very prominent throughout the city. So, you know, just a major rest in peace to uh, Virgil Abloh, his family, and um, everything that he's done for just the creative community. You know, the best thing I feel like I can do as a creative is just continue to create and keep in mind these amazing creatives like Virgil out there. So just a major rest in peace to him. Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, here at Golden Voice, you know, you can tap in with us um, here uh, at any given time on our on our social media profiles. That is um, at Golden Voice on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Once again, that's at Golden Voice on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. That's where we're at. So you can find us there. But then, of course, you can find us on GoldenVoice.com to find out the latest events and shows that we have for the month of December. Then also what we have coming for 2022 as well. So just stay tapped in with us through all those different platforms. And then, of course, you can find the Golden Voice podcast on Apple and Spotify podcast platforms. And as you're going ahead and subscribing and following the podcast on your respective podcast platform, whatever that one is, uh, make sure that you leave a nice comment or a five star rating review if they have a review system. But if they don't, I would love to hear from you just about what you're feeling about the podcast, what you enjoyed about this latest interview with Brick. You know, just just let us know. Tap in with us because we would love to hear from you through social media. If you you can't leave that five star rating or review in your favorite podcast platform but if you can it's much appreciated if you do all right and then of course it goes without saying a major shout out to our golden voice podcast team that's our executive producers amanda and ria that's our marketing team that's Lindsay, Kristen, moppy maddie and savannah that's our artwork and creative by saish and trevor that's our press team shay and taji holding it down and of course you now we're back from holiday break and we're gonna keep things going for the month of December here. And I gotta say, you know, we had a bonus episode and stuff like that, and that was pretty cool. And I know we got some more holidays coming up. So if you like those bonus episodes that we did, we can definitely do some more bonus episodes. So let us know on that one, okay? Because we I enjoy getting that out there to you. So if you want to hear some more bonus content, let me know. And we're gonna keep the momentum going right here for the Golden Voice Podcast for episode number eight. Because on this episode, we're gonna have a very awesome special guest come to the podcast podcast with her own inspirational story and that is going to be spectrum news uh entertainment journalist and media personality and news anchor bianca ray coming to the podcast this is going to be so awesome for that conversation very inspirational and i can't wait to share that with you okay so again if you don't know by now i'm your host jarvis smith this is the golden voice podcast i love tapping in with you so you know i'm gonna do it again next week you take it easy And I'm out.